The book we have been uh, considering for a number of, uh, well, several months, Ecclesiastes, is part of uh, a small collection of writings in uh, the Bible called the Wisdom Literature. And it also includes Proverbs and much of uh, the book of Job. And the Wisdom Literature contains it's what it sounds like, which is wise stuff, stuff we should take notice of. There are principles that are meant to be uh, understood in a general way. These are, this is the general way things go. It's not that there's never any exceptions. They are like general rules. So we have these several books, and obviously there are a number of authors who've contributed to this wisdom literature. And yet, in our reading today, we hear this uh, curious statement by the preacher. He says, all these things are given by one shepherd. One shepherd. That's one individual. Now it can't be referring to Solomon or the preacher or someone else because there were lots of individuals contributing to these works, to the truth of God in general. And, and so our minds perhaps will be naturally led towards thinking of the the shepherd, the one shepherd, which is the Lord himself. And so part of what I'd like us to think about today is how all truth ultimately comes from God. So the first thing I'd like to, to mention is to think about the origin of truth, the origin of this truth. Where does it come from? Well, it says, it says, one shepherd. Now, certainly our minds are drawn to uh, the Lord, as I said. Uh, I'd like you, if, if you're inclined to turn to page 873 in your church Bibles, it's from Ezekiel chapter 34. Uh, Ezekiel chapter 34 introduces people or reintroduces people to the idea of the shepherd. It's Ezekiel 34 and verse 23. Now, the, the Lord is speaking to the people through the prophet. So the Lord is speaking about his covenant people, Israel, and he says this, I will set up over them one shepherd, my servant David, and he shall feed them. He shall feed them and be their shepherd. And I, the Lord, will be their God, and my servant David shall be prince among them. I am the Lord. I have spoken. Now, what's curious there is that God is speaking through Ezekiel, almost 400 years after David has died. And I, I suspect the Lord knows exactly when, when David died. And yet he's using this, this name David. People are meant to think of David, the David, King David. They are meant to. 
But this is an example in the scriptures of what we call a type. And a type is a person or an object which represents something else. So all these, uh, you may have several different of these people, say, or called types. And very often these are types of Christ. So there's something about each person that is to point to Christ. He's the ultimate person. He's good in every way. It's, a, it's called a type. And so it is that whether Ezekiel realised it or not, this David, who was to rule the people, was to be the Lord Jesus Christ. And we find uh, Christ happily identifying as the, the one true shepherd in John chapter 10. Um, if, if, if you want to turn to page 1081 in your church Bible, um, it's, it's John's Gospel, uh, chapter 10, and we'll see in verse 11. John 10 and verse 11 says, this is Jesus speaking, of course. Jesus says, I am the good shepherd. I am the good shepherd. Well, this would ring some bells in the minds of the, the, the Jewish hearers because they had an idea this shepherd figure was really important. And presumably a lot of them would associate the shepherd with the Messiah. And Jesus says, I am he. I am the one. When I say we're, 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 we're talking about the origin of this truth, I don't mean the wisdom literature only. I don't mean that. I want to uh, broaden this out to make the case that in fact it is uh, the origin of all truth in the scriptures is from God. You might think that's obvious, but we're, we're reminding ourselves that this is where it comes from. So the question is, if, if the source of all this truth that we have here is in God, how does it get to us? How on earth have we ended up with this book? How did we get this? Well, that's a very long story. But the, the process of how God fed his truth into mankind, it's a, it's a strange process. I mean, if I asked you who wrote the Bible, you might think that, that's a trick question. I'm not going to say anything. Who wrote, who wrote the Bible? Who wrote John's Gospel? You'd be thinking, oh, is it John or is it God? Best not say anything. It was John. There's nowhere I know of in the scriptures which, which describes God as being the one who wrote the letters or wrote the, these things. They're from God but written by man. So how, how do we describe it? In fact, just so we know that these words are from the mind of the preacher himself, it says there in verse 9, it says the preacher also taught the people knowledge, weighing and studying and arranging. The preacher thought this through heavily. He studied these things. 
The preacher would take, there were, there were, there were sayings that were common to, to people everywhere. He included some of those, he brought in some new ones. How he changed them was all his wise sayings centered around God. But it says that he weighed and studied and he arranged them in a specific way. He put a lot of mental effort into getting these things down that we have now in the book of Ecclesiastes. So the preacher wrote this, the preacher wrote this. John's gospel was written by John. And so that brings us to this process then. How do we say it's from God if men sat and wrote it? Men actually sat and thought it through and wrote it. We come to this thing called inspiration. Inspiration. And there's a, there's a, a biblical sort of explanation, if you like, in 2 Timothy. And in 2 Timothy, which is on page 1199, Second Timothy and chapter three, verses sixteen, or verses fifteen to seventeen. Second Timothy three. I'll start at verse fifteen. It says, "This is Paul speaking to his young apprentice uh, Timothy." He says, "From childhood." You have been acquainted with the sacred writings which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. All scripture, all scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction and for training in righteousness. All scripture is breathed out by God. So the picture God gives us is that he, he, he breathes his word out and it goes into the mind of a, of a person. Now God, needless to say, does not breathe in and out in reality. It, it's an image. He breathes, and we've, we've met this before in, in Ecclesiastes. We've met this idea of the breath of God. Because it was the same picture used to describe how God gives life to people, how he gave life to Adam, how he gives life to us in the womb. It's the breath of life. And it's the same imagery used for God communicating his word, which after all is life-giving. The breath of God gives actual physical life, and the breath of God gives spiritual life too. The breath of God. I thought I would take this opportunity to mention a couple of things that inspiration does not mean. So when you, whether you are familiar with the term inspiration or not is irrelevant. I'm sure that each of you have imagined at some point how God communicated to people as they wrote the scriptures. So I want to say first of all, it was not um, what they call automatic writing, okay? so. The people who wrote the scriptures did not go into a trance and start scribbling away. And then when they came out of the trance, there was the scriptures. That's, that's not right. Neither is inspiration a sort of dictation where someone sits and waits and listens for God to speak and goes, yeah, I've got that. Yeah, okay. 
like a secretary taking down notes. That's not what inspiration is either. The inspiration is man using his brain, his style, his writing style, his vocabulary. The writing reflects his culture, his upbringing, everything about his background. And God used that individual and so influenced him that what that individual thought was maybe his, his, his own thoughts was being directed by God. And also I would say inspiration is not always the same. Now sometimes God gave people messages like, well Ezekiel is a good example. There's stuff in there that is mind-blowing. It's, it's, it's strange. It's just, some of it seems just incomprehensible. Did Ezekiel understand all this when he received it and wrote it down? I, I don't know, but I doubt it. I, I doubt he understood all of it. But he said, well, I'm just going to get this thing down. This came from God. I'm going to write this down. Whereas if you compare it to John's Gospel I mentioned before, John was like, right, now's the time. I need to get all this information down. All, all these things about Jesus' life. I want to get them down quick and record them for other people in the future. And he just made notes. He just started to write it. And so God was still inspiring him, but he understood what he was writing. He understood exactly what it was. So that gives you an idea of what inspiration means, and that is what that is how God gives truth. Truth comes from God, and that's how He gets it to people. That's how we've ended up with this inspiration, breathing the truth into the minds of the people. Well, the third thing to think about is. What's it for? What's the point of scriptures? Why has God given it? In verse 11 it says that the it says that the words of the wise are like goads. Goads. So none of us are farmers and none of us lived hundreds of years ago but a goad, you might know, is a pointed stick. And so, I spend time on farms, and uh, just take uh, one example, Martin, with all his cows, he's got dozens and dozens of cows, and so sometimes you have to get them out the farm, and down the road, and onto a field, and so he, 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 he doesn't use a goat, he uses something, some modern alternative, but you can imagine the farmer, he has to, he has to, uh, First of all, he has to prod them so they go, ah, and, and they move away. And that's how he gets them to go where he wants them. And so the farmer would prod them. He would get, he would get them on the road. And the, and the goat is also used to keep them on the road because the cow, if it wanders off, might get lost. It might fall down a ditch. And so there he is, the modern-day shepherd. He's sort of prodding the cattle to keep them on, on that road. And so perhaps you can see why the gold is used to describe God's truth, because it has the same sort of function. Paul mentions the, these golds, doesn't he, in, in, when he gives his testimony. You'll find his testimony, uh, one example of it in Acts 26, uh, which in your church Bibles is page 1126. And it's Acts 26 and verse 14. 
So Paul is in court again, he's up in court again, and he's in front of Agrippa. And he's giving a, a testimony. He's allowed to speak by law, and he gives a testimony. And Paul says, uh, 26 and verse 14, Paul says, uh, And when we'd all fallen to the ground, I heard a voice saying to me in the Hebrew language, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? It is hard for you to kick against the goats. The risen Jesus has confronted the Apostle Paul here. Why are you persecuting me, he says. Why are you kicking against the goats? Now, Literally, if you if you started if you if you turned around and someone had one of these pointed sticks and you started booting at it in rebellion, you'll end up with a pointed stick in your leg, and so it's it's, it's painful. And what did Christ Jesus mean? He's saying that the gods, which is my truth, have been prodding you in a certain direction. And you've rebelled. And you've been kicking back instead of going the way the truth was pointing you. And so we find there that an image there that God directs our very steps with his goads, if you like, of truth. He, like those cows, he, he, he starts off, he uses his truth to get us on the right path. And then he maintains he keeps us on the right path using his truth uh, again. So we have his truth. How do we, how do we uh, get this truth to direct us in that way? Well, the obvious one is reading the scriptures. We, we read the scriptures, of course, but that's not enough because anyone can read the scriptures. I can, I can pay some guy down the road, uh, a tenant, and just read the scriptures, and he can read them. What, what, what use is that? You need to, th these things are spiritually understood. And for the one who is born again, like, like, like you folks sitting here, we have to pray as well. So there's a two-way communication going on there. So we, we pray to God and we say, Lord, I'm, I'm going to read your word now. I pray that you will open my eyes, that you will give me understanding. I pray that you will allow the word to prod me and to go me into the right, the right path. That's what we do. You'll notice, going back to Ecclesiastes, you'll notice that, that the word of God is also likened to nails, firmly fixed. Nails. Well, nails are, are driven home, aren't they? Nails are driven right the way home with a, with a hammer. And that's uh, likened to God's truth because that's what it's meant to do. The, the truth of God is meant to be driven home into your hearts, like, like today. Now, I know being human beings like me, I know exactly what will happen today as happens uh, every time someone speaks. The bulk of what is said today, whether it's God or it's bad, the bulk of it will be forgotten by about 3 p.m. today. If I interviewed you all, 
said, tell me some things about today's message. He was like, and something about uh, the Bible or something, you know, because we're, we're dull, we're generally dull of hearing, you see. We don't have the mind of Christ which would absorb all, all, all the truth of God and just relish it. And if you want to, <clears throat> if there's anything today that has been said which is worthwhile remembering, then you can always, <clears throat> you can always uh, try to imprint it in your hearts by uh, talking about it with someone else. Explaining it to another person is a good way. Uh, some people take notes. Um, and <clears throat> yeah, you can just maybe go on and think about just one or two things you've heard. Um, because this is your food. It's meant to feed you. So, so let the word of God feed you. Let the word of God be like nails that are driven home right into your heart. So the purpose of the truth then is, is, is those things. It is about... Keeping us on this, keeping us on, putting us on his path, and keeping us there, and giving us an awareness of who God is and what He is like. And this is why we take the word of God out in evangelism. Uh, the, the scripture said before, Jesus said, "I am the good shepherd." It goes on to say, "The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep," because of course Christ died. Christ gave His own life for His sheep. And we don't know who the sheep are, but we know that when we reach one of them with the word of God, God, the Holy Spirit, will start doing his work. And he will drive that truth home in that person because he's one of his sheep. And he will drive it home. And that person not getting away, that person is going to get saved. And that is one of the purposes of God's word. I only want to say one more thing, folks, and that is to do with the sufficiency of this, the Bible. The sufficiency of the truth, then. The truth comes from one shepherd. He inspires it through the biblical authors. The purpose of the great shepherd giving us this truth is what I've described earlier. But we need to just add that the scriptures are sufficient. God's word is enough. Now we live in a world when we are completely surrounded by books and media and imagery and sounds and everything else. It's not that anything is in, it's not that all the things around us are inherently bad at all. That's not the point. But the point to remember today is that God's word is sufficient. That means that for salvation and for living the Christian life, you only need the Bible. So you hear me recommend books, but you don't need them. You only need the scriptures. This uh, Wayne Gruden, who's a theologian, who's written lots of books, one of them was this big, big thick thing on theology. And he says this, we can define the sufficiency of Scripture as follows. The sufficiency of Scripture means that Scripture contains all the words of God we need for salvation. All we need for trusting in him perfectly. And all we need to obey him perfectly. Is that clear enough? Friends, you can go and read Christian books. 
You can read Christian books and uh, non-fiction and fiction and newspapers if you want. But you use caution because none of them are from God. None of them have the authority of God. Even the very best Christian books do not have the authority of God, I'm afraid. I read all these things. I, uh, I read Christian books because I want to take advantage of those men who've gone before me who are far superior to me in understanding of the Scriptures. But I use caution. They're not God. Their words are not inspired. They may be wrong. I like stories. I read novels. I like to know about the world around me, so I read books on non-fiction, about factual things about the world, and it just broadens my understanding of the world that God's created, and so on. So we, we use all these things if we want, as long as we keep in mind at all times that they are not the word of God and they are not necessary. You can get rid of all the books in the world, and the scriptures will be sufficient for man to know God and to remain in a relationship with God. The truth in the word of God is sufficient, friends, and it, it alone has the authority of God. Well, the Bible then, as a whole, we've looked at its origin and its inspiration. We've looked at its purpose, we've looked at the sufficiency of it, that it is enough for all that is important. I notice in verse 10, the word delight, because for those who know God, for those who actually know God personally, the truth of God is way more than an intellectual exercise. Knowledge of God's truth to us who are saved is a delight, a delight. Amen.